Blog Talk Radio. drive through HR on Thursday, August 13th, 2020, and uh, we are doing a special one-hour show today um, in a little bit of a different format than we, than we normally do, mm-hmm. um, and um, my name is Robin Schooling. I am one of your drive through HR co-hosts, along with my uh, partner in crime, Michael Vandervoort. Hey, Mike. <laughs> Hello, Robin. How are you doing this morning? I uh I am good. It's um it it's a uh, it's a weird day. It's a that's mm-hmm. a non-typical day and time for us to be doing drive through HR live at least. So Yep. It's kind Indeed. of it's kind and of fun. For an hour. <laughs> I know. I know. It's uh it's pretty good. Um to shakes up the day a little bit, I guess. So um it's um it's a good thing and we um we are going to have a really good and I think critical and important discussion today and um as we uh as we dive into it I think people will understand why in particular you and I um have wanted to have this discussion with our mm-hmm. guest and uh so let me introduce our guest we um we're really looking forward to this conversation and um with us today is Larry Nisenson who's the uh, SVP and Chief Commercial Officer for Genworth Financial. And Genworth is, um, is an uh, organization that provides long-term care insurance and, and financing for the aging population. And he also has responsibility for uh, Care Scout, which is a caregiver support services um, program. And it's, um, it's something that provides – it's a program that provides guidance and support – for people who are struggling to find help for their loved ones, and particularly, obviously, their aging loved ones. So welcome, Larry. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me, Robin. It's a pleasure to speak with you and Michael today. Yeah, we are... Yeah, uh, thanks for doing this. Yep, yep. It's um, it's a, uh, as, as I keep saying, it's an important and uh, very close, to Mike and I's uh, life here lately um, to really kind of talk mm-hmm. about this subject and and so before we um, before we really dive into uh, the Q and A and pick your brain, Larry, we're going to be picking your brain here today. Um, we thought it would be interesting to kind of start off with, I guess the the the, the personal side of drive through HR um, and tell tell a little bit about our our stories and what we each independently have been dealing with for the last several years um, with our family members. So, mm-hmm. Mike, why don't why don't you kick it off? Tell us, uh, tell our audience uh, a little bit about what you've what you've struggled with. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it it's a lot, Robin, and I'm not going to tell every story and every everything. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's a lot. My parents. Uh, have lived in Florida until the last year, so they've lived in Florida for about 20 years. My dad retired when he was 62. He's 87 now, so he's been retired almost as long as he worked. 
Um, mm. And they were very vibrant retirees. They played golf. They went out on boats. They went traveling. They did stuff, right, up until about three or four years ago. And then mom began to um, – her health declined uh, in part due to physical, like, renal issues, but all, much more challengingly and importantly also with um, issues related to dementia and depression. And I think that um, – we tried to help, but, but at that point, my dad was still pretty capable. He's, he's a, a couple of years older than mom was. He was pretty capable of kind of covering up for her and helping her get through the day and stuff. So we didn't realize how bad it was, to be honest. Um, and two years ago, the the uh, proverbial shit hit the fan. Um, sorry, Larry. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. The, uh, yeah, things got bad. Um, my brother passed away in August of 2018. I think the anniversary of his death was yesterday. And mom was bad when my brother passed. Dad declined rapidly, and it really exposed a whole uh, a whole series of issues for my family, which is myself and two sisters. Um, that really had to start providing caretaking services to both of them because they were no longer able to take care of themselves. And I mean by that, I mean mm-hmm. they didn't eat meals. They didn't remember to take showers. They would bicker and fight. Um, at least twice the police were out at my parents' house. And, like, my mom and dad were two of the most upstanding citizens you would ever think of, right, like role model family parents and that kind of stuff. And to, to have the cops at their house because, you know, they both wound up on the floor after throwing beer cans at each other. <laughs> I mean, it just it, – it's surreal, you know. And there, and this was, like, day after day after day, and things would go up, and then they seemed to get better, and then they would go down. And what I finally realized was, like, we're going to have to step in here and really do, you know, so that meant we have to do it, like, literally almost an intervention with my parents. And that meant very concisely that meant we had to start providing care for them ourselves, you know, on an ongoing basis mm-hmm. So my sister and I. And uh, my two sisters and I had to rotate in and out of Florida because none of the kids lived in Florida at the time. And then eventually we realized we can't keep doing this. We're going to have to move mom and dad, which is a huge uprooting. We took away their car keys mm-hmm. um, and essentially really – moved them moved them twice in the last year you know which has created a very uh stressful situation for them because they no longer feel like they're standing on their own and just don't know what to do and couple that up with the depression and the loss of memory and they're they're really pale shadows of their former selves and it's i can't even begin to tell you how sad that makes me and of course then about three weeks ago my mom passed away um that made my dad even worse. I brought him down here to Florida for a couple of weeks to go on vacation. He fell day three in a tra- sand trap on a golf course, which he loves to do. He fell, hurt his hip, wound up in the hospital. He just got out last night after having ha- having to have some surgery. So this thing is like daily, you know, now I got to take yep. him back to Ohio where, where he's more comfortable. And there was a lot of other stuff in between, but that's like two years of hell, literally, um, yeah. packed into a, like a four-minute description. I'll, I'll go into more detail later on if it makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, and um, similar struggles um, on my end. And, and you know, I'm I live in Louisiana. My parents um, have lived in California for thirty something years. So, um, in a small town, so getting from my relatively small city to their small town is like a fifteen hour flight. You know, just to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and for for a number of years, uh, ten fifteen years, we have we were working to be very proactive to get them to move here by us, um, anticipating there's going to be care and things will deteriorate. And they too were very active. They were 
my dad continued to work. Um, uh, he he sold real estate and he he kept his broker's license. He closed his agency, but he kept his broker's license and he did little deals. Mm-hmm. So he was still working, you know, well into his seventies. They were active as well, um, but the decline we could see the decline. Dad, from a physical standpoint, um, with various ailments and aches and pains to the point where it became almost impossible for him to walk. Um, and my mother physically, for the most part, robust, but um, dementia slash Alzheimer's coming into play. So, um, again, I would say over the last two years really has been the challenge for us um, to get them out of their house. Um, they, we were still trying to get them here. That went back and mm-hmm. forth many times. Ultimately never happened, um, other than for an extended visit, which I'll allude to in a minute. But um, <clears throat> trying to get them out of their house and into some sort of uh, retirement community or assisted living or something like that, that was a battle. Um, they didn't want to give up their independence, um, as mm-hmm. they thought. And um, ultimately got my mother here for last year, about a year and a half ago for an extended visit of um, almost three months, and it was um, it was it was uh, it was like having a toddler in the house in in many respects. Mm-hmm. I was incredibly totally. incredibly fortunate that I work from home um, because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to do it, um, and so I was home with her all day. Um, but I was just worn out and exhausted ultimately got moved her back to california and we put them in a retirement community um which i saw as really a stopgap measure because i knew what was going to happen and it now has um in that shortly after your mother passed away within a matter of days my dad went into the hospital for some surgery and passed away in the hospital um so now my mother, um, unable to live in the retirement community on her own, has moved into an assisted living um, facility, which is uh, fantastic and small, and it's meeting her needs right now. Um, but it's, you know, I'm I'm not there. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's hard to be <laughs> thousands of miles and many many hours away. Um, but she's in a facility, at least, that I know her needs are being met in a much better way than, than, frankly, I probably would be able to do day in, day out if she lived with us. So that's my story <laughs> and your story. Um, yeah, and I think those are comments. common. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. A couple of quick things. One one of them is so um, affordability of the type of carrier mom and dad we're getting. Um, we moved yeah. my parents initially from Florida up to an assisted living place where they had their own apartment, you know, and got the meals cooked and everything. And my mom, yeah. when she first moved in, she said, this place is like heaven. They clean the house. They do work. You know, it's like living in a hotel. Three months later, they were like, we got to get out of here. This is, we're parked here waiting for to die. Um, mm. And the cost and the sort of, uh, you know, places look nice, but, I, you know, people know that they can't get out. To your point, they lost their independence and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. they, they do feel like you, the family has parked them, right? So it causes a lot of panic with the depression issues, you know, the, again, bickering, just terrible stuff. But so it's the cost. Yeah. When I first went to try to go look for how to help my mom and dad, I was calling around in Florida since that's where they live. And I quickly learned that there was no real one 
one-stop shop for dealing with these kind mm-hmm. of issues any more than there is when you get your baby uh, from the hospital and take them home, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they don't mm-hmm. give you an instruction manual or anything. So um, that was one of the biggest frustrations that I had, and I'll talk about how I dealt with that a little later on. But yeah, those the cost and the trust in the the agencies and the, in the yes. in the healthcare, it's sketchy at times. Anyway, for what yeah. that's worth. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I've I'm in in my HR career, I've. Um, a few years ago, but uh, at one stage I was the HR director for a um, continuing care community. So we had um, we had independent living, we had assisted living, we had adult mm-hmm. daycare, and we had um, a skilled nursing facility all on all on one campus. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I worked in that world for for three months. Um, so, to some degree, I feel or I've felt. Well, I kind of can navigate my way around that. You know, I'm somewhat familiar with it. But when you're faced with it um, for yourself or your family member, it's it's a whole lot different. And yeah, we're going to talk about resources uh, here a bit. But let me let me kind of tell everybody what the what the flow of our show is going to be today with our guest Larry, um, who's been sitting so patiently listening to us tell our stories. Um, but I'm going to serve really here for the rest of our conversation um, as kind of our moderator. I may chime in every now and again, but I've got some questions um, that I'm going to pose to to Larry and to to you, Mike, um, okay. to kind of take us through this this conversational journey and how does this very very personal uh, experience impact work? Um, impact, you know, kind of society, impact um, individuals and, and, you know, how they're um, dealing with, you know, being employed and, and being a caregiver. Um, and I think we're going to uncover some <sighs> opportunities for improvement, I'm sure. Um, but ultimately, um, the reason we have uh, Larry on the phone with us is he's He's a wealth of knowledge for resources and some tips. And so for HR leaders and organizational leaders that are listening to the show, um, that's where we're going to get to today is, um, is ultimately the what, what can we do. So let's, uh, let's kick this off, shall we, um, and dive into really, I think, you know, kind of the interplay of this, this issue, um, taking care of, of our aging family members and how that um how that ties into the work world and the and the world of work. So um to kick us off, here's here's a couple of statistics that we have. Um first off, 61% of caregivers say that helping a loved one has impacted their employment situation. Um 53% of caregivers who who work, who have a job report that they have to go in late or leave early or take time off to accommodate that care. And and one in ten of those caregivers have said they had to give up work entirely. In addition, 61% report that they have no paid family leave at their workplace. Um, now, this is, this is a very U.S.-centric problem, um, I think, Lack of paid leave, whether for aging family members or, you know, quite often we talk about the lack of parental leave for people with newborns. 
Um, but while we regularly talk about that parental leave and the lack of, of, of parental leave and paid parental leave, we rarely address caring for aging family members, even though it's it's been lingering with us forever. So why is it a topic that we really don't dive into um, let me throw that first question to Larry. Again, Larry Nysonson, uh SVP with uh, Genworth Financial. So, Larry, why why don't we talk about it? Thanks, thanks, Robin. And it's a great question. It is the probably not a mistake that it's the first question that we should talk about. And and thank you for sharing both of your stories. It's uh, it's interesting to to listen to how you both. I mean, think about this, and this will tie back into the to my answer, but here you are, somewhat seasoned professionals in the field of caregiving. You've been doing this show. You've been involved as caregivers. You've spoken, I would imagine, to countless people in the caregiving space. And you're faced with the same dilemma Mm -hmm. that a first-time emergent caregiver is faced with. Right, They get that fateful call at 3 o'clock on a Tuesday that says, your life is about to change and you just don't know it yet. Boom, yeah. here it is, and your path is now a different path. Well, um, I won't share my uh, tale of woe with you, but I'm also a caregiver who received that fateful call. Uh, and just to put some context around the size of what we're talking about, in a normal world, forget COVID-19 and the impact that that's had yeah, on caregivers right. in general. Let's oh, or keep the that economy. Aside. Right, <laughs> exactly. There's, there are 41, over 41, it's actually 41.8 million unpaid family caregivers in the United States today. Mm. So we're talking about 12, 13, 14% that identify as caregivers. I bet you if we really dug through what makes somebody a caregiver, that number would be even larger. And the estimate, by the way, is that as the baby boomers continue to age, right, as they turn 65, 10,000 people turn age 65 a day in the United States, and that will continue for the next decade, that seven out of ten of those people will have a long-term care event. So the number of caregivers that we need over the next decade Right, that number from the mid 40s will grow to somewhere in the 60 to 70 million unpaid caregivers mm. over the next decade. So when we say it's a tsunami coming, it is absolutely it's on the way. The path is drawn. The trajectory is drawn. And if we don't start talking about it now, by the time we realize we need to talk about it, it's going to be a much larger problem. But your question, which is spot on, is, well, why aren't we talking about it? Yeah. Part of the reason we don't talk about it is, at least in the employment space, there, there hasn't really been a solution, right? So when, when we think about proposing, you know, hey, here's a problem, well, most people don't want to really talk about an underlying problem if they don't have a solution that they can offer. We know that caregivers in the workplace are an incredibly important, vibrant aspect of the employment community. Most employers have been silent on what they can offer to those employees. Mm-hmm. There are some, right, there are some ways that they've solved it previously. Um, they've solved it through their EAP or their employee assistance program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that is one way of solving it, but it's, a, um, it's sort of a reactionary 
program in the sense that somebody has to know that it's there and know how to use it, right? The stress for caregivers is on the compressed time and the incredible decisions they have to make, right? Most people that are caregivers are doing other things. They get that fateful phone call, and they've got to make immediate decisions, and they don't know where to turn. An EAP isn't always the best solution, but it has been what most employers have defaulted yeah. to. Um, and it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg conversation. When we speak to HR executives about our caregiving services and, and the way we view caregiving education and awareness programs, what we hear often from caregivers is, well, we don't get a lot of demand for it from our employees, so I don't know that it's a relevant issue for us. They understand and agree that it's a a global issue, right, that it's a macro-level issue, but they don't necessarily mm-hmm. see how it impacts their employees. Um, and and so to that end, part of the dilemma is employees have to be willing to put their hand up and alert their company and say, hey, look, I am a caregiver. You know, I yeah. could use a little bit of help and start to have those conversations with their employers about what their needs are so that employers who are growing more empathetic uh, have the ability to bring to them some solutions. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, one of one of the issues with that is um in the workplace um and and workplace policies or requirements for uh, you know how and when and where people work. So, you know, when we look at those statistics we talked about earlier, um where 53% of caregivers say they have to go in late, leave early, et cetera, or take time off or reduce their schedules. Um, how how do those dynamics impact the employers from a, a financial perspective or a productivity perspective? How do company policies play into that? Mike, what, what have you seen? Well, I mean, my own experience, I mean, just this in the last month with my mother passing away, I made two trips from Florida to Ohio, um, actually three. Um, I've probably missed two weeks worth of work over the last five. Like literally two 40-hour weeks have been devoted to dealing with my mother and father. And obviously Mm -hmm. mom passing is a slightly different event, but it's all part of a long a long chain of things that are, that everyone's going to go through at some point, right? Um, and you know, and I'm super fortunate, Robin, in that I I worked both back when I worked for Key when this first started happening, and now with yeah. Publix, I work for a really good employer who's willing to let me take that time because they recognize yeah. that it's important and that'll happen to them someday, right? But not, and they're paying me, and and I'm really grateful for that. But the the truth is not – I mean, I know there are companies out there doing good work, and and we're probably being a little broad with the brushes that employers aren't dealing with this, but there's a lot more that that, that could be done, I think. Um, you know, and you mentioned some of the stuff leaves. You know, the, I think the flip side of that, though, is that the $41.8 million and the and the fact that Larry called out the number uh, is probably higher if, he, if we really dug into it. I would agree with that. Um, but – the, the other part, side of that problem is if you work for an employer who isn't willing to work with you, then you're, you, you're not only dealing with your family stress issues, but you're dealing with, I, I'm, my, I'm putting my job in jeopardy, but I have no choice. Kind of like right. with COVID, you know, I, I, I don't want to get sick, but I have to work. Um, and, and so I think a lot of people, and I think this happens to people with disabilities and people that have, you know, uh, uh, these kind of challenges, 
is they tend to stay silent because they don't want to get targeted. And I, and I, and you and I, Robin, both know there are managers out there, many, many managers who don't want to deal with this stuff. They don't have time mm-hmm. for it. It's a bother. If you're missing work, you're not, you know, you're mm-hmm. not helping me. If you're not helping me today. I don't need you tomorrow. I mean, that's, again, that's a pretty harsh picture, but I think a lot of people recognize their managers aren't going to, you know, necessarily give them carte, carte blanche to respond to this. And so it becomes a kind of a, a, a rock and a hard place for each mm-hmm. of these individuals at one of the worst times of their life. You know, it's really, it really sucks. I have, I have certainly, um, seen companies and I think this is probably more prevalent um than than the other way where um because there are no either the person does not raise their hand or the company's policies are very strict and I think of um restaurants hospitality some mm-hmm. manufacturing um, shift work, if you will, right? There's a shift. Also, the lowest body. wage. Also, the, the lowest low wage, wage the Low wage earners. So they can't afford the high. They can't afford the high price assisted living and or to hire help, right? So again, well, and there's they, no and, there's and, nowhere to turn. Yep. And they can't. The company policy, company policies do not allow for extended leave. Certainly, you know, it may not be FMLA qualifying. Um, there's right. no sort of personal leave available. And so people are uh, forced by company policy, even if they do raise their hand and say, I have this issue I need to take care of. Um, well, we can't afford to not have you at work. We need somebody in that shift. So your options are either you come to work or if you don't come to work, we're going to apply our attendance policy and you'll be terminated or you can just resign. Mm-hmm. Um so how what Larry what what have you seen I guess what have you heard from employers when you're talking to them about the impact on running the business if you will productivity and it, you guys are so spot on but I have a, a glimmer of hope and some good news for you so you know good. we talk about productivity in the sense of there's both measurable and immeasurable aspects of productivity. Um, Genworth is a, a leader in the long-term care space, uh, as we've talked through. And for the past 15 or 16 years, we've con- been conducting an annual study, uh, two of them really. One is called the cost of care, where we look and analyze how much does it cost to provide in-home care, assisted living, or nursing home care in, uh, around the country in every uh, really, in every zip code, you can go to our website and plug in your zip code, and it will tell you exactly what it costs to provide mm-hmm. long-term care services. There's, uh, and we can talk more about that. But the study that I would really highlight that gets at your question, Robin, is our Beyond Dollars study. And this study, which we, it's proprietary, we've conducted it uh, really, as I said, over the last 15 or 16 years, gets at what is the, what is the cost to an employer in lost productivity. So it measures absenteeism. It measures what I would describe as zombieism, which is the employee that shows up but is there physically, but certainly mm-hmm. not there mentally, right? They've got mm-hmm. they've got to do this emergent caregiving Google search to figure out what to do with mom or dad or their loved one. And so, yes, they're in their cube or at their desk, but they're not actually doing the work that's required. Um, it takes into account some of the statistics that we've talked through, which is that fi- over 50%, it's 53% report going in late or leaving early or having to take time off 
it calculates, and this is the big one, and Michael, you alluded to this, the cost of stress. What does stress lead to from a medical condition standpoint, right? What is the impact on a caregiver's health, their personal health through anxiety and stress as being a caregiver? And we're able in working with uh, the National Alliance of Caregiving, we were able to get at the actual cost at the U.S. economy, at the productivity level. Mm. It results in over $13 billion, $13.4 billion to be exact, of additional health care costs to U.S. employers for those caregiving employees. So mm. when we talk to employers about why, putting care, why caregiving services matter, it's not about only about being empathetic to your employees, right? It is what is the palpable cost, what is the hard cost. Um, when we put it all together, the U.S. economy, because of caregiving, has a lost productivity that amounts to over $25 billion of lost productivity from unpaid caregivers who don't have the support that they need. That's a real number. And... Um, when we do this meeting and we meet with um, either chief HR officers and uh, the chief financial officers of companies and we start to talk through numbers like that, it's real. When you boil it down for a company to every thousand employees that they have that are uh, moderately paid employees and uh, moderate is defined as $50,000 a year employees. So for every thousand employees that make $50,000, the cost of lost productivity due to day, due to caregiving is one point eight million dollars of lost productivity. Wow, wow. Yeah, that's real, and and so that that's the good news is that companies are becoming more aware of the true cost. They're willing to have the conversation, and I will tell you that one of the positive. It's hard to use COVID nineteen and positive in the same sentence. Mm. One of the positive outcomes. <coughs> is that companies are now looking um, with greater urgency on how do they provide different types of support for their employees, things like caregiving services, flexible time. They're becoming more empathetic and more aware that this pandemic is not going to be a short-lived thing, but likely going to force many employees to work from home, if not permanently, uh, on some sort of hybrid schedule for quite some time. Yeah. Um, let me do a quick reset, everybody um, who is listening in. We are um, on Drive Through HR today discussing um, elder care and um, all the things that relate to it. Our guest today is uh, Larry Nysenson, and you're here along with um, with Larry and um, myself, Robin, and uh, my co-host, Michael. So um, good conversation, and we're about halfway through it already. So I want to... I want to build off of what what you were just talking about, Larry, which is that whole sort of concept around um, understanding and building this understanding that um, caregiving can, um, as a caregiver, it it can impact my own personal health. um, And one of the things that your research has found is that um, close to 25% of, of family members acknowledge or say that that being a caregiver has made their own health 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 worse worse man I can't even speak today um, and and yeah I do think through COVID 
um, and I'm just waving my hands in the air when I say that, all this that's happening right now, um, we've, also, we've learned some lessons because we have people who have been home working from home for the first time and simultaneously trying to homeschool their, their children, um, and they realize how stressful that is. And then I think about people that potentially are simultaneously working from home, homeschooling their children, and perhaps have an elderly relative living with them that they're also being a caregiver for. Um, what? Where are we going? Um, put your put your future hat on. Where are we going with how we understand better? This is part of that good news. What? what work and life um, integration looks like. Um, Mike, what, what, what have you heard from, you know, out in the field and companies you've talked to? Yeah, so, you know, I know like Starbucks provided a, a good plan, and I did a blog post about this. this is a couple years back. Starbucks has some nice benefits, and Larry, I assume at some point you'll be able to maybe give us a couple other examples of good role models. Um, I think – I, I don't know that I've heard a lot, Robin, because I think, number one, I've been so heads down with this and moving and, you know, the life changes that I've gone through. Larry, I changed jobs and moved to Florida while all this was going on during this year. Um, oh, my God. Know, is there I, anything I, more? I, I, hey, Mike, Michael, is there anything more we can heap on your shoulders in the process of inputs? I don't know. Maybe we should brainstorm about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah, maybe I can paint a mural as a hobby at the store on the weekend. Or so. I, anyway, seriously, I mean, Rob, I guess what I was going to say, Robin, is I think that what um, people, you know, just like the work, right? I mean, the the the. So the, I think that's a positive that the people can work from home. It still doesn't make it easier to um, be a caregiver. I was here waiting for the show mm-hmm. to start, and my dad came walking in the room, going, "Where where where are you?" Because he's out on the couch, I had the, I had blue bloods on for him, right, trying to distract him for this hour. My sister's here as well, but before she got here, he was wondering where I was. So it's kind of like, you know, you never know when it's going to jump up, right? What mm-hmm. I what I found, I think that was really helpful for me personally, and that's I guess that's why I keep going to on this. Um, I, you know, I had so much research, so I made all these calls, and you know, people, I would say I need some help, somebody to sit with my mom. Oh, we don't do that, but we could provide meals on wheels which is perhaps helpful, but not what I was trying to find, right? So I finally, after making like 27 phone calls or whatever, I finally stepped back and decided there has to be somebody out there that can help me with this. Unfortunately, I had the financial wherewithal to do this, but I identified in Florida and then later on in Atlanta some elder care advocacy practices, which are largely made up, at least the ones I dealt with, are largely made up of um, RNs who help case manage your Everything mm. that goes on around around your around your the person you're providing care for, right? So they can talk to the doctors, they can talk to the insurance companies, they can give you advice about sundowning or you know all, there's a lot of stuff, right? You need a living will, you need a DNR, you need power of attorney. I mean, there's a whole checklist of stuff that I learned that you need to go through, and and having the financial wherewithal, not everyone can do this, but I was able to go out and say, okay, Charlene Prozier, okay, Mandy Antonin, you know, in Florida and Georgia, respectively help me with this and tell me what I need. And, and when my mom started having issues with, with rage when we moved her, you know, they, get, they helped me get her into a, a counseling center that they knew and were familiar hmm. with. And I'm telling you, it made a huge difference in my life and the fact that I was able to, like, I still spent thousands of dollars. I'm not begrudging that. Um, but it, it, I, I knew what I was doing was the, the best thing that I could identify, you know, 
taken the steps. And so having, if there was an employer solution, they can't do all that, but if there was any help from the employer side that would help people walk through that process quicker, I mean, I learned how to do it, but it took me a year. Um, that's where I think you would get into, and, uh, you know, the re- reducing both the stress and the financial costs. So I, I don't think that answers your direct question, Robin, but that one, that's what comes to mind for <laughs> no, me. No, but so. that, that, that got us to a good, a good follow-up question um, because I think being armed with, as you discovered, it's um, it's being armed with the information and the resources. At least, I think it gives you a little bit of a maybe I've got a little control over something that's uncontrollable, mm-hmm. and that may help reduce your stress and make your health situation better. Um, so, so Larry, what um, you know? I think Mike probably found a lot of things on his own, but what other sorts of where does somebody begin? What are what other sorts of resources are available to to caregivers? Um, what do you see people doing um, in general? But you know, obviously, you all have a, 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 some solutions to that. So I guess kind of take us on that journey. Where do people go for information, and how are you helping people? I, I definitely will. I just want to touch one second, if I can, on the on the impact of COVID. Um, 19 mm-hmm. into the dilemma because I think it forms part of the reason that employers are more interested in this solution or any solution is because that number of 40 million caregivers that we talked about, those are the permanent family caregivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Genworth completed a, a, a survey. We're really big into the surveys and white papers which because we believe in this educational component and awareness component. We just completed in May. So at the end of May, we completed a consumer sentiment survey around COVID-19 and caregiving. And what we found, which is astonishing to me, which drives it the why, right? There's always the question of why are people interested? Why are employers interested? We found that one in three people surveyed. So extrapolate that to America, and you've got over 100 million people Mm. that are now identifying as being caregivers. We know that 40-plus mm. million of them are the family caregivers that we, we've we already identified, but that means mm-hmm. that over 60 million people were emergent caregivers as of March 1st, or pick the date where COVID-19 took over and sent everybody home. And this, mm. as we said, isn't a short answer. This isn't the type of thing where we say, okay, a month from now, you know, we're going to all be back in the office living the yeah. life that we had a year ago. It's not going to be the case most likely. And employers are now saying, if I've got an employee who's at home, who's balancing their traditional caregiving role, but now has to also play teacher or coach mm-hmm. or cook or some other job, and as we think about elder care, I live in New Jersey, and in New Jersey, where we've had the second highest number of COVID deaths nationally, 40% of those deaths are attributed to long-term care facilities. Mm -hmm. And so the effect of that is that many people are moving their loved ones back out of a facility and moving them into their home, right, saying that I don't know how I'm going to take care of mom or dad or my spouse or whomever, but I certainly can't leave them in peril in a facility. So now they're balancing this incredible um, balancing act of potentially kids at home, parents that Mm -hmm. they're moving in, modifications to their house, and oh yeah, 
by the way, they still have to do a job when it's all said and yeah. done, right? So, so the question becomes, to your point, and Michael's uh, following through on Michael's thing, is what do employers do? Mm-hmm. There are um, there are several services out there that provide what I would describe as varying answers to the care dilemma, right? Some offer technology-based solutions where you can set up a small, uh, a closed group of caregivers who are maybe caring for a loved one, and there you can set up a texting group, and there's some technology solutions that allow you to get closer to the caregiving solution. Uh, and do so in a shared environment. So in a world where you've got three or four family members caring for a loved one, right, there are technology pieces that allow you to really um, get closer uh, as a group and figure out how to take care of your loved ones. There are uh, traditional ways, Michael, you talked about that, which is bringing in somebody to help, right? You can hire unskilled nursing, which might just Mm -hmm. be there to help sit with your loved one while you're doing your job during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we at Genworth uh, own a company called CareScout. Uh, we bought CareScout about a decade ago. It's a 20-year company, and all, all they do, and I don't say it dismissively, I say it because they wake up every day, a dedicated team that wakes up every day as care advocates. Mm-hmm. Michael, in what you described as this, being able to turn to somebody who's a registered nurse who can help shepherd you through the difficult decisions that have to be made and sort of help you find the people. Our company, CareScout, which is, uh, uh, again, sort of what brought me to spend some time with you folks today, is a care coordination and advocacy company. That's all we do. About a year ago, a year ago, uh, we took what had been something that CareScout had done for, again, almost two decades, and turned it into, we tried to answer the need from the employer space, who said, what do we do for our employees that call us and say, you know, who do put their hand up and say, I am a caregiver and I need help. Where do, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Companies didn't know how to do, what to do with it. And we created a service that allows them to send their employees to us. We have both mm-hmm. an online portal and a telephone where they are immediately connected to a clinician, whether it's a licensed social worker or a registered nurse, who does an intake, sort of helps the employee figure out what's going on, and then we go to work trying to solve it for them. So we Mm. provide this expertise that most caregivers don't have. And there are, obviously I'm partial to ours, I believe that we approach it the right way, but there are several other services that work in in either a similar or a slightly different fashion. That's the good news is that this chasm of uh, need between the unpaid caregivers, the employers, and sort of this knowledge gap, if you will, that chasm Mm -hmm. is being filled by companies who uh, have care at the root of what they do and are trying to help. Mm -hmm. Would, Would you categorize this moment in time, 2020, the moment in time for so many things, but... Are we are we at a stage now? And based on this research that 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 you have, and these surveys and these conversations that you're having, are we at this point where this um, this does become more of a of a wake up call potentially for businesses and um, kind of the future of how we look at employee benefits that we offer? Are we are we there? Are we 
getting there? We we are right on. We are on the precipice of it. There's no question in my mind. I'll just give you another another example of why I say that, and and um, not to wade into the national politics at all. I'm going to avoid it like the plague. But hearing <laughs> hearing at the presidential level, Joe Biden talk about a CARE Act where they're going to commit in his in his presentation of it. Seven hundred, right, uh, mm-hmm. billions of dollars to solving the care dilemma. The care dilemma mm-hmm. meaning for caregiving for care recipients. I imagine somewhere in the mix of that would be a federal long-term care insurance bill that would help people who can't mm-hmm. afford long-term care insurance solve for that. Hearing them talk about this as a main stage solution shows us that not only is it being thought of, right, that the the public sentiment, the public cry is forcing that conversation, and that in Mm -hmm. turn will, of course, force employers who are dealing with stay-at-home employees who are going to be here for a long time balancing those, those responsibilities. It will force them to also get into uh, the business of of trying to help their employees solve for this unbelievable dilemma. Mm-hmm. And here's here's a little aside, another um, little personal aside, but um, where the U.S. I, I will also avoid uh, wading wading too much into the political uh, abyss, but um, where the U.S. is so behind. Um, I guess I am wading into it um, in, in, in relation to other company, uh, other countries. My husband is from South Africa, and as we've started to go through these things with my parents, um, he said, "Well, uh, you know," uh, and we started to talk about long-term care and you know uh, how this would be paid for and this sort of thing. And he said, "Well, won't they just get that as part of their, you know, Medicare, Medicare?" I'm like, "No." Because in South Africa, his his mother, who's in South Africa, is in you know similar situations. Um, but because of their healthcare system and long term care components to it, it's not an issue for them to worry. Like we have to worry here um, and plan. It it, it it is amazing, and it's one of the one of the educational components that that we do around again this financing of aging and. We we often say to people, you can finance aging in many ways, but you are ultimately going to, God willing, we're all going to age because the alternative isn't really such a great alternative, right? <laughs> and um, yeah, so you can you can save and pay for it privately. You can buy a long-term care insurance policy that will help you cover the costs and defer the costs. You can, as many people say, I'm gonna I'm gonna spend down my assets. And I'm going yeah. to to spend it until the federal government steps in, and that's again there are there and there are variations of all of that, and we're not we're not in the business to tell people how to finance their aging. We're in the business of making people aware of what some of the alternatives are. Yeah. But the biggest the, the the biggest education piece is around people thinking that their health care costs or Medicare is going to pick up long term care expenses. Yeah, and we go. We spend a lot of time on education of the difference between health-related expenses and quality of life 
expenses and what picks up what. And it's an eye-opener for most people. So we are at a disadvantage for sure for many of the other countries in the world. Yeah. Robin, I have a question for Larry. Um, So, Larry, like, um, like this hit me when I was 60, I guess, 60-ish, 59-ish, something like that. Um, And I never really thought about it. You know, my mom and dad took care of themselves. They were having fun. It was a good time. We'd go visit. We'd go to eat shrimp, you know, whatever. It was just we were living life and had no no care related to what they were going to wind up dealing with, you know, like they are today. So over and over in the HR space, you know, like Robin, and you'll relate to this, like, you know, a lot of a lot of younger employees don't even want to contribute to a 401k, right. even if there's a match, because they need the, you know, they want the money in their pocket now, right? So, how do, how, I, so a challenge, if, if, even if employers are willing to offer something like CareScout, you know, the mo, the majority of the people aren't thinking about this as something that I got to have when I'm 25 or 35 or even 40 probably. How do you educate um, and sell this? Do companies just provide it as a as a, uh, a, a kind of a paid benefit, or do, do, is it something that, that people have to kind of sign up for and buy? And in, in most cases, with your clients. No, you are. You have nailed the the key issue. So, as it relates to CareScout employer uh, support services, we sell that only as an employer paid benefit. And the reason we only do it that way is because when we can sell it across the universe of employees, right? And we allow a company to pick the cohort. In other words, if they wanted to offer this just to all of their full time or full-time and part-time or to some sliver, maybe they have a division they want to bring it to, we can work with them on that. But because nobody plans to be a caregiver until you Mm -hmm. get that fateful call, the only way we can say to an employer that we're going to help your productivity and take this relief off of your emergent caregiving employees is to is to say they're all covered and we do it for a minimal cost it's mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's a sliding scale but just to give you uh, an idea of the services we literally do customized care planning for people so if michael in your particular case you would have called our service we would have done an intake form we would have identified places facilities beds available that worked with your loved ones insurance we would have sent you out a report that said, here's all the facilities near you. Here's, uh, Robin, in your case, here's the ones that are 3,000 miles away from you. Yep. They all have beds. Here's the state agency ratings. Here's some user ratings. We literally do all of the work, including, mm. you said, I just need somebody to come give me 10 hours of, of peace and quiet to take care of my loved ones so I can go downstairs and, you know, recharge my own caregiving batteries because mm-hmm. that's the the biggest issue that most people sort of, yep. it's this, you know, undercurrent of it, right? Well, so our service, we do this on an unlimited basis. An employee could call us every day if they'd like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and awesome. we do it for $2.50 per month per employee. It's a nominal mm-hmm. fee. Remember we mm-hmm. said the impact on productivity is almost, uh, it's $1.8 million a year for an, a, a company with 1,000 employees. The cost of the service is $30,000 a year. The trade-off is to grab $1.8 million in productivity. So the key to it, though, is that employees have to know it's there, not yeah. opt into it at some point when it's too late. And so we yeah. we do a tremendous amount of education and awareness campaigns around the service, the dilemma, how to use it, what to do with it. And 
um, in companies that allow us to do this service, what we see is a is a there's sort of the traditional learning curve of people getting aware of it, starting mm-hmm. to use it, testing it, and then we find super, what I would describe as super users, people yeah. who really understand how we can alleviate that stress. On average, when we do a when we do an intake and work with a client, we spend we're the experts. We spend uh, between seven and nine hours of research for every call we get that results in a call. And we're experts. Imagine how much time it would take a novice caregiver right. To, right. Make, to, to do the research and, and the tentativeness by which they would have these decisions. So um, there is for sure an awareness. Um, and then for companies that are really interested and see the benefit, we sell an employer uh, – an employee-paid voluntary benefit for long-term care insurance. And Mm -hmm. we often will pair the two of them up and say to the employer, you pay for the caregiving services, and then we position as an um, Mm employee-paid long-term care insurance for those that Mm -hmm. are interested in that. Mm. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's – yeah, I could see, uh, you know, and and I think even to Michael's point earlier about, um, you know, sometimes we 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 are challenged with communicating to uh, employee younger employees, newer newer entrants to the workforce, why they should start saving for the retirement and that sort of thing. But I I could see, um, I could see this being this is not even especially if it's employer provided. This is not just age specific because I could be 30 years old, but I'm the caregiver or I can be using the service because maybe I'm helping my parents help my grandparents type of thing, you know? So Robin, I'm, you're a hundred percent right. First of all, of the 40 million caregivers, 25% of them, right. Or 10 million of them are millennials. So while most of them, we're not on. You're not seeing me live, but I'm a guy with gray hair and a gray beard. If you, you know, most caregivers may look more like me, but 25% of them also look like my kids, right? And yeah. so yep. there, there is, and the financial impact of millennial caregivers on their career, on their earning potential, yeah. on the stress and the way they live their life, they're in just as much in need of a service like this as somebody who's more towards the end of their work and career and who's taking mm-hmm. care of a spouse or loved one. And um, the only other thing I would say about this service where employers are really interested is we don't live at the caregiving uh, work that we do just to immediate family. So if you're a caregiver who's taking care of an elderly neighbor, maybe you're mowing the lawn and you're like, mm. I can't do this anymore. Is mm. there any service available? They, we have people who call us and say, I just need you to find me a lawn service that's near my parents that maybe is used to working with older folks or, I, uh-huh. or they, need some, they need some work done around their house, but I can't do it and I can't get there. Do you have any, any contractors who are used to working with older folks who, can really, who, mm. who have the patience maybe? And um, it's, it really is a service that drives at the heart mm. of caregivers' dilemma and and provides them this sort of bastion of expertise if you will Mm. i um i love that and uh believe it or not everybody we are down to just about four minutes left of the show we have covered a wide range of things here in this hour and and um 
so so appreciative um to our guest Larry Nisenson from um Generous Financial and and um responsible for Care Scout which we have been talking about at the Caregiver Support Services program. So Larry, um why don't you fill in here for the last couple minutes here that we have um fill in for our audience, let our audience know how they can find you personally online. Um, as well as where they can access information about CareScout. Uh, absolutely, and thank you again, b- uh, both you and Michael, for, for letting me join you today. It's been, I can't believe the hour is up already. I know. Um, oh, no kidding. We, no so kidding. The, the information that we talked about in terms of the surveys and the studies, all of that can be found at genworth.com, G-E-N-W-O-R-T-H.com. You'll see when you go to genworth.com, that there's a learning and research thing, and if you go under there, you'll find all of the studies. If you're interested in the COVID study in particular, there's a banner across our webpage that talks about COVID-related information, and not only is the consumer sentiment study there, there's a COVID checklist. So for those caregivers who are in the middle of Mm. dealing with caregiving, COVID, their kids, their loved ones, et cetera, there's a checklist that can sort of help you organize some of your thoughts and some of the things that might need to be tended to. If you're interested um, in the CareScout benefit, um, you can go to carescout.com, one word, carescout.com backslash benefit, and that will take Mm -hmm. you um, to a page that talks about what our employee uh, support services (laughs) program looks like. Uh, You can reach me uh, at Larry, L-A-R-R-Y dot Nisenson, N-I-S-E-N-S-O-N, at genworth.com. You can find me on Twitter at L. Nisenson, and I'm also on LinkedIn. And uh, it would be a pleasure to speak to anybody who had questions, comments, thoughts, uh, ideas. We're, we're very intent on, on continuing both the conversation and the developments of, of new services and products all around the financing of aging and helping our population and caregivers as they uh, go through their cycle. Excellent. Excellent. Excellent resources and information for, again, our primary audience, um, HR leaders, HR professionals. So um, thank you so much, Larry. And got any quick final word, Michael? Um, No, Larry, thanks so much. This is exactly what I hoped we'd do. Um, and hopefully folks will get some benefit out of it and, you know, maybe reach out to you. But, yeah, it, it, don't go through what Robin and I went through if you can help it. There are, there are better ways to do it. We just offer yeah. some. So, anyway, that's it from me, Robin. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody. Um, have, a, uh, have a wonderful rest of the day. And we're halfway through August, so let's keep it going. Bye, everybody. Bye.